0: to another special a patron, a bonus episode of That Record Got Me High. That is Barry Stock.
1: And that is Rob Elba.
0: And as I mentioned, uh, we do these episodes from time to time and let our uh, um, patrons, our, uh, our beloved patrons, uh, take the helm and, uh, you know, and and uh, send in their submissions of uh, whatever we decide we're going to talk about. Right. Uh, and that- and Barry, uh, if someone wanted to get in on this fun and become a patron, what would they do?
1: Go to patreon.com forward slash trgmh and pick one of the affordable monthly options for supporting uh, that record got me high, starting with an option that's as little as a dollar a month.
0: There you go. And uh, we would really appreciate it. And our patrons are awesome. They're like, they, they interact and they give us good ideas. And they, uh, you know, very occasionally they, they tried us about something, but usually they're usually very... They're, um, oh,
1: no, they're generally very positive. supportive.
0: Very positive and supportive. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's awesome. And this one, so Barry, this one we're doing, uh, that record got this adolescent high.
1: That's right, 15 is the target age.
0: Now, how, how hard was it for you to remember back to when you were 15? Not, was it, was not it hard? super
1: hard because I was listening to a lot of music then and, and listening to a lot of new music that i hadn't heard before which is good for the uh, right. my submission as opposed to So maybe music, it was yeah.
0: maybe it was hard to you to narrow it down to one though probably
1: right yeah i've got a, yeah i've got a pretty good idea what i'm gonna play and um it'll be it should be really good instead of some of the other shit that i was listening to at the time which there's uh, some okay. definite hey. trash <laughs> I, I, in there
0: well yeah but i guess something that really really got you high oh yeah
1: sure oh yeah uh, test of time so you
0: you turned 15 uh, in what year you were 1979
1: yeah 15 september of 79
0: yeah i was 78 so one year before so uh so yeah so we're gonna give it uh leave it to our uh, patrons and then uh, as usual at the end me and barry will chime in with our own submissions
2: yeah
0: uh But uh, this should be a lot of fun, and I'm really curious. I'm excited to hear the show and to hear what uh, all our patrons come up with. So, without further ado, that record got this adolescent high. By the that record got me high. Patrons, take it away, guys.
2: Hey guys, Steve Carroll in Chicago. You know, one of the tracks that really blew me away around the age of 15 was Neil Young's Hey Hey My My Into the Black, the last song on Russ Never Sleeps. I had a couple of Neil albums I had. After the Gold Rush, I had Harvest. I was not expecting that to come out of Neil. That guitar sound was just monstrous. It sounded industrial, almost sort of mechanical, like they'd sort of set the amplifiers on fire. And of course, the lyrics better to burn out and fade away. I don't think there's a better teen angst song than that. I didn't know about the whole Devo connection to that track back then, and if that's new to you, you should definitely check it out. You won't be disappointed. All right, guys, take care. All the best.
3: Greetings, Rob and Barry. It's Carl from Phoenix Records in Waitsfield, Vermont. Thanks for getting me high back in 1984. And that was the freshman year in high school. I was at a crappy, well, a good school, but a crappy, jock-filled, Jesuit high school existence. And looking for something, anything to pull me out of that... Malaise, Um, luckily there was a good record store near my school and I would walk down there after school and one day I walked down after school and there was a new album by Black Flag. I had previously picked up my war but this one was probably the first one I got close to release date and that album was Slip It In and had everything I wanted on it. Oh, man, just from the cover artwork to that bass line from Kira at the beginning of the title track. Just so much tension, anger, but also some sophisticated arrangements and uh, musicianship on there as well. So that's an album that holds up to this day. Slip It In from Black Flag, 1984. And, man, it's still kicks a lot of ass later.
4: Hi, guys, this is Larry chiming in for that record Got This Adolescent High. Um, I'm old, so my 15th year corresponded with our nation's bicentennial, and 1976 had some great music happening. I really liked uh, the bass stuff, um, so Wild Cherry play that funky music, and Parliament give up the funk. Uh, There was a lot of stuff like that on, on the radio. Um, But it's also the year that uh, Boston came out with their album. Uh, Later, I'd appreciate the Runaways and the Ramones. um, But at the time, those were off my radar. Uh, The Eagles Hotel California came out that year. But the record that got me high, you're going to hate me. Um, Kansas, Carry On Wayward Son. It's got a really rocking, minute-long intro before you get to the lyrics, and then it breaks down super dynamic to this just piano and voice. Uh, The bass comes in with a a glorious bass tone. But the thing that really floated my boat was the organ. Um, The organ is just doing accents. It's like stabs throughout. Uh, halfway into the song, there's this really tight instrumental breakdown, and it comes out with just a killer organ solo. And you know, the '70s, there was you know the Deep Purple stuff, Procol Harum, um, Traffic. Um, uh, th- so there was a lot of good organ music, but this thing totally got me high. And like it or not, now now I get to make you listen to it. Ciao. <music>
6: Hey guys, Tom Lard. Hope you're doing well. The year was 1979 when I was 15. That year was a bit of a shit show for me. My father died earlier in the year, and in November, an album came out that really spoke to. Me. It was an album about anger, and alienation, and isolation, and railing against authority and authority figures, both uh, school-wise and and the fear of fascism. Uh, a lot of that rung true to the 15-year-old me. And you'd think, well, okay, it sounds kind of like a punk album, but really it was Pink Floyd's The Wall. And the song that uh, spoke to me was Comfortably Numb. Um, the album was also a bit of a shit show, the way it was made. Their band was barely talking to each other. They had fired one player and... Uh, Richard Wright and brought him back as a session player and uh, the band was deep financial trouble and it really was their last gasp uh, luckily it was a multi-million seller but after that they were never the same the band should have entirely broke up but they didn't um, anyway uh, it's uh, in retrospect it's you know it, it has moments where I still like it it's not my favorite Pink Floyd album anymore but this song comfortable on numb really spoke to me. Thanks. Bye.
7: This is Matt, and I want to introduce the song that got me high as an adolescent at the age of 15. It was 1987, and I saw a music video for a song called Seattle by Public Image Limited, and I knew nothing about this band at the time. All I knew was I really liked the song, and it was just unique. It wasn't new wave, it wasn't punk, it wasn't heavy metal, but it rocked pretty hard, and I just thought it was awesome and i still do
5: don't like the look of this old town what goes up
8: was 15, was an incredibly rich year for music. I had to go back and look at the release dates of some of my favorite songs from back then. And kind of in the first half of my 15th year, Donovan released Hurdy Gurdy Man. And I thought that would be it. And then I noticed that toward the end of my 15th year, the first Led Zeppelin album was released. And it was kind of hard to pick between the two, but there was so much other incredible music between those two points. But Hurdy Gurdy Man is my song that really got me high. And it kind of still does every time I listen to it, and I do still listen to it. When I was a teen and I lived in West Hollywood, my friends and I would, at least one night a week, walk up to Pembroke Road to a little teen nightclub that was run by a couple of Pembroke Pines cops. And it was called Tut's Hut. Tut after King Tut. And I think it had a little bit of Egyptian motif in the decor, I don't really remember that, but it was just a little teen nightclub. There was a bar and they served soft drinks and they had a jukebox and they had some kind of a, you know, pretty simple light show. And they would occasionally have bands and um, there were some local high school bands that were pretty good. And then there was this band called uh, Middle Earth that would track down from Fort Pierce pretty often and play. And I was exposed to a lot of really unusual music uh, through their set list. The one that I remember, is they would always play Your Head is Reeling by the band Ultimate Spinach. It kind of gives you an idea. But um, Hurdy Gurdy Man, I don't know what it was about that song, or is. There's a drone in it, which is really cool. And then there's an amazing guitar solo. And there's some dispute about who played the guitar on that recording. Jimmy Page is one of the possibilities, but there are others. I'm not sure I recognize the name, so I don't. Jerry's out on that one. But uh, Donovan's, you know, the, the, the quavery kind of singing... And the lyrics, the, um, the reference in the lyrics to the crying, down through all eternity, the crying of humanity. I mean, that might have been the first really kind of existential punch in the gut I experienced. Um, well then, so I still listen to it. I still love it. And I recently, in doing this kind of, you know, Google research, haha, that's what we call research today, I saw a reference that some people say that Led Zeppelin on 1, <laughs> that uh, Hurdy Gurdy Man was the inspiration for Led Zeppelin on 1. So there you go. All in a circle, everything connects. That record got me really high, and it still does. Histories of ages past. Let us cast down through all
5: eternity, the crying of humanity. Tis then when the hurdy-gurdy man comes singing songs of love. Then when the hurdy-gurdy man comes singing songs of love. hurdy gurdy 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 hurdy gurdy
9: Hey guys, this is James from Baltimore. When I was 15 in 1979, Elvis Costello got me high. In secret. You guys are about my age. I don't know how it was for you, but when I was growing up, music fandom was extremely tribal. In my tribe, we believed in long hair, lyrics about demons and wizards and space trucks, and musicianship, which was measured in interminable solos. We would enthuse about a ten-minute drum solo, as though that could possibly ever be a good thing. We were the sworn enemies of disco, which included R&B and anything with any kind of swing belly, and of punk as well, because no long hair or solos. One afternoon, I was listening to KGB-FM, the progressive rock radio station. You may remember the KGB-Chicken, a sports event mascot who got some national fame. When the song Green Shirt came on, It was everything I was against, and I was utterly seduced by the radically spare instrumentation, that snare, the sneering, insinuating vocal, and the literate, sophisticated lyrics. In addition to being a heavy rock fan, I was a closet reader and a history nerd, and I was thrilled by the phrase, Quizzling Clinic, in a rock song. I would never have admitted it to any of my headbanging buddies, and I still hated punk in theory. But I was a closet Costello fan from that day forward.
5: Before they put you on the touch table. Cause somewhere in the Quisling Clinic, there's a shot and type is taking seconds over minutes. She's listening into the Venus line, she's picking.
10: This is Jeff Greenstein. By 1980, I had finally emerged from my Styx, Kansas, Boston, Supertramp phase and, with some help from three bands at a nearby Athens, Georgia, into my Pylon, B-52s, R-E-M, Clash, Ramones, Talking Heads phase. But the record that got adolescent me high that summer was a weird piano-driven number I heard late one night on the local rock radio station, something called Welcome to the Universe by something called Flash and the Pan. And once I finally tracked it down, it became the soundtrack of my summer, no doubt because the apocalyptic lyrics reflected what a lot of us were feeling at the time. What I only learned years later was that the gentlemen behind Flash in the Pan, great band name, by the way, were none other than Harry Vanda and George Young, formerly of the Easy Beats and Friday on My Mind. And George was, of course, the older brother of Angus Young of ACDC. Anyway, chances are you've never heard this one before, but it still sounds pretty damn fantastic 41 years later. Welcome to the universe.
11: Hi, I'm Chris Mechlin. That record that got the adolescent me high, I turned 15 in 1984. My choice is not hot for teacher. My choice is off of
10: U2's The Unforgettable Fire, the song A Sort of Homecoming.
7: summer of 1976 I was 15 years old and the country had just turned 200. The bicentennial was a big deal in the Boston area where I grew up. The whole celebration seemed like it was centered there where the revolution had started and we spent the summer taking in the events like the tall ships of Operation Sail, numerous parades and battle reenactments, all capped off by a huge fourth of July concert by Arthur Fiedler and the Boston Pops on the Esplanade climaxing in enough fireworks to light up the sky from Bonstable to Gloucester. When the first Boston album came out at the end of that summer, it was like an extension of the party. Everywhere you went, the album was playing, and the hometown pride that we had felt during the bicentennial was jacked up to 11, this time with lots of reverb, chorus, and delay. It was a momentous time for me, since I had just graduated from Top 40 Radio to the more serious FM station, and I was discovering an adult world of the Beatles, Elton John, and loud guitar rock. In Boston, the band seemed like the pinnacle of that last category, at least to my virgin years. Needless to say, my grades slipped and I bought a guitar. More Than a Feeling was the first song amongst equals on that album, and the easy-to-learn 1-4-5 progression of the chorus rocked my suburban world, until a couple of years later when punk rock made me ashamed to even own the album next to the Ramones and the Clash, it seemed slick and juvenile. It wasn't until 16 years later, when Nirvana unashamedly recycled the more than a feeling chorus into their own punk metal fusion, that I finally went back and embraced the songs that had lifted my teen spirits all those years ago. Here's to being young and stupid and falling in love with rock and roll.
12: This is Dan Bonebrake from The Lightworkers and that record got me high for In 86-87 when I was a sophomore at Boca High, These Important Years by Husker Du got this adolescent high. Yeah, 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 I know. Warehouse Songs and Stories isn't anyone's favorite Husker record, but for me it is. And this first track nails that adolescent feeling of school routine, nothing changing fast enough, and of course adults telling you to cherish these years because they'll be gone too fast. Lyrics like expectations only mean you really think you know what's coming next and you don't and yearbooks with their autographs of friends you might have had color those feelings of wanting to grow up quickly, not knowing shit from Shinola and maybe forgetting to live in the present. The rest of Warehouse is brilliant as well and showcases Bob and Grant at the top of their songwriting game. Each alternating the 20 songs throughout the album except for once. This record and album got me through those important years, maybe more so than any other. And my Who Screw Do tattoo on my calf has warehouse colors across it for that reason.
7: Cheers! The world is
5: changing for the trees, no matter how we feel. And no one knows the difference, because it so unreal. You better grab a hold of something simple and it's true.
13: Hi, this is Woody Compton of Is This Tomorrow. It's interesting that they pick 15 as an age for a song that got you high. Um... I think it's a very influential time in people's lives, and I would bet most people still listen to the music they liked when they were 15. At 15, I had gotten in a band, I had my first serious girlfriend, and I was getting more into music and less into comic books. Uh, My tastes were divided between hardcore punk and new wave. MTV gave me my daily dose of new wave, and there was local punk shows in Tallahassee on the weekends. And after school, I would sit down in front of the TV and watch the uh, music videos. And the ones that appealed to me most were usually the more unusual new wave bands. And uh, that's the type of music that ended up being influential in kind of my playing and musical tastes, as well as a lot of the punk bands I saw. If I had to pick a song, though, it's a bit tricky because there's so many things that I grew up liking that I could pick for what got me high when I was 15. And a lot of the ones I pick have already been covered on the podcast. So I'm not going to pick one of the bands like uh, XTC or the Ramones or Duran Duran or The Clash. They've already been covered here. So I'm going to pick an artist that most people would probably consider a one-hit wonder, which is Thomas Dolby. The song, She Blinded Me With Science, is is almost a novelty song. It's more of a joke of a song, and one that can wear out its welcome after a few listens. But there are also many great songs on his first album, The Golden Age of the Wireless. This album is a concept album about the early days of radio, right down to the perfectly appropriate cover art. And I was talking with my wife recently about why I bought the album in the first place, because it wasn't Blinded By Science that got me to buy that record. And after giving it some thought, I realized it was the song Europa and the Pirate Twins. It had a cool black and white video. It was kind of retro. and That appealed to me. But the song is strangely new, but old at the same time. It has a sense of nostalgia to it, um, and it has synthesizers and kind of unusual sounds next to things like harmonica. Um, it's actually a Bo Diddley beat, kind of spastically played on a drum machine. So it's kind of a mix of the old and the new. And Thomas Dolby can do spastic. He can do these kind of spastic, upbeat songs like Hyperactive. Um, but he also does melancholy very well, like One of Our Submarines or Screen Kiss. And Europa and the Pirate Twins has a little bit of both. The song is about a childhood friend, probably a first crush, who becomes separated from young Tom during the war. And when he next sees her, she's a celebrity. And he tries to reconnect with her, but he can't get past her security detail. Uh, This song was my gateway to this kind of hidden gem of a New Wave record. But again, I honestly could have picked any one of 100 great New Wave or punk songs that were in my teenage brain at 15. Um, So picking one, a single song, was was tricky. Um, So I came up with Europa and the Pirate Twins. It's a clever and quirky song, and hopefully one that... Thomas Dolby will be remembered for more so than the silly blinded by science.
2: there. This is Rory from Oakland, California, and uh, I'm going to say that the record that uh, got me high and caused a great deal of uh, intrigue uh, from 1976, when I was 15, was won by a band called Clap 2, with two A's. Um, it's called 347EST, and uh, I remember the day when I was listening to the local rock radio station, and it was a Stop the Presses breaking news moment because uh, this new uh, album came out that um, was <clears throat> possibly a new Beatles album um, under the disguise of a band called Klaatu, um that they uh, went underground and decided to record a new album. And, uh, but they wanted to use the Beatles name, so they put out an album called, uh, under the name Clap Two that had, uh, no band member listing, um, but it was recorded on, uh, Capitol Records. So, uh, obviously the, the Beatles, uh, record label. Anyway, I was a big Beatles fan, and I still am a big Beatles fan, and the idea that this was a reformed Beatles, um, just caused me to have be just completely intrigued and, uh, listening to that radio station nonstop for further clues, um, um, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories about that album. Um, one of them being that uh, <clears throat> Ringo Starr um, was uh, had an album called uh, Goodnight Vienna that had f- that had cover art with uh, Ringo appearing in the place of the character Clatoo from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. Whoa! Serious, uh, serious beetle conspiracy going on there. Anyway, uh, that the album Clatoo kind of sounds like the Beatles, um, especially the song Sub Rosa Subway, um, and definitely a McCartney thing going on there. Calling it occupants of interplanetary craft sounded kind of John Lennon-ish, um, and I bought into it. I thought, wow, this could really be the Beatles. Well, it turned out that it was a big, uh, a big hoax, really. Um, that was all kind of uh, ginned up by the the record label, probably in cahoots with the radio station that I was listening to and lots of other radio stations like it and uh, you know we were all had but you know the album wasn't half bad um, it, had some, it had some fun stuff on but really the, the tip that uh, the, the tip off that this was not the Beatles should have been that there was a song on it called anus of uranus um the beatles would never do that um the beatles have done you know individually some kind of silly things but never that never that low anyway that is my uh my exciting record for um when i was 15 there were lots of other ones but that one really kind of stood out uh just for its uh, strange uh, backstory all right thank you very much
14: Sean Foley, and I'm picking a record that um, was, I discovered when I was 15. It was actually released uh, about four years before I was 15. I was going to try to find something when I turned 15, which was in 1978, but um, there's just so much, and frankly, the go-to I would have is uh, the first Cars record, which uh, everybody knows already, so um, this record that I've chosen I discovered in 1978 I believe um, I remember being 15 and really digging on it um, and it's by the British band Badfinger. Um, I was aware who Badfinger was because of course they had had um, their hits in the early 70s that being you know patrons of the Beatles and um, you know, I was a big fan, I had a copy of Straight Up, their, their kind of big hit album in the U.S., um, but then I, you know, they didn't, they, their commercial imprint was very small after that record and so i completely lost track of them. Um, I remember I was in the record store one day and I was going through their dollar bin and they had this Badfinger record called Wish You Were Here. And um, I thought, well, it's a buck, you know, why not? Um, that's turned out to be one of the one of my favorite albums of all time, um, which is kind of the best way, I think, to discover anything, which is just by sheer chance and, you know, finding it for a buck and and uh, you know, kind of falling in love with it. So, Um, My selection is from that record, Bad Fingers Wish You Were Here. Uh, I'm going to pick, there there are two medleys on that record, and I'm going to pick the one that closes the album. It's called uh, Meanwhile Back at the Ranch, Should I Smoke?
11: So in uh, 1985, that's when I was 15, or I turned 15. And that year has a slew, of, well, every year has a slew of great records that come out. I should have known and been listening to, uh, let's see, Hooskadoo, New Day Rising and Falls, uh, Nation Saving Grace, Sonic Youth, Bad Moon Rising, Jesus and Mary Chain, Psycho Candy, Replacements Tim, Dinosaur Juniors, Dinosaur, The Cures. The Head on the Door and New Order's Low Life, but instead I was listening to Crap on the radio. Um, a record that came out that year that I did listen to pretty quickly after that was NXS's Listen Like Thieves. I got into that band uh, in '87, so, you know, two years after that came out, and I quickly became obsessed with the band. That was kind of my first band I became obsessed with that was my own and not um, something my siblings kind of uh, played for me and uh, and then eventually uh, soon after that a year or so after that then that's when I went down the rabbit hole and was introduced to um, more underground music and then I started getting into those records that did come out in 1985 but I didn't listen to until probably 1988, 89 90 etc. So anyway, uh, Listen Like These by NXS is my pick. I'm sorry.
15: Hi, Barry. This is Joey Maya. I'm so glad that you chose age 15 for your Patreon curated episode because at that age, your musical tastes are changing as if they're on steroids. So uh, when I was 15, a lot of amazing groundbreaking records came out, like um, Iggy Pops, uh, The Passenger, The Sex Pistols, Album came out. Uh, the Ramones' "Leave Home" came out, and I own all three of those albums and love all three and listen to all three of those albums. But at age fifteen, uh, I, I I cannot say that uh, those any of those albums are even on my radar. Um, at that age, like you know, most people in South Florida. Uh, I was listening to Sticks and Boston and even Foreigner. Uh, my favorite song was probably Free Bird by Leonard Skinner. I still love Leonard Skinner, uh, but uh, I mean, I, I think I would, um, I, I don't want to hear Free Bird ever again. Um, so what kind of changed things is that later in the year, uh, sitting by myself late at night, probably a little high, high, um, on Don Kirshner's rock concert, a band called Cheap, Trip came, Cheap Trick came on and played. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then a few months later, in a band with Isaac Baruch, uh, we were playing Surrender. Uh, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And that, you know, I, I just couldn't go back to the music I listened to. I couldn't go back to Sticks after listening to... Cheap Trick and Surrender is still one of the, one of my favorite pop songs, I think one of the greatest pop songs ever written. So that's my song that got me high when I was 15, Surrender by Cheap Trick. And about a year and a half ago, uh, Steven Funky, who is their sound man, who does the monitors for Cheap Trick, was nice enough to introduce me to the members of Cheap Trick, and except for Bunny Carlos, who cannot be replaced, But the three other guys were magnanimous enough to take a picture with me and my book and pretend to be interested in it. And um, that was really cool. So that just kind of, uh, you know, raised how I feel about Cheap Trick. Not only are they great musicians, write great songs, but they seem to be awesome human beings. So, surrender by Cheap Trick, my friends. Keep up the good work, guys.
5: Joe, let's go
0: Hey everyone, this is Rob from That Record Got Me High Podcast. And uh 1978 was the year that I was 15. And I wanted to pick a song. Uh obviously, you know, as me and Barry talk about, when you're at that age, 15, that's a lot of times that's when you really get into music and, and you listen to a bunch of stuff. But I, I really wanted to to honestly pick one that that got me really high and that sort of changed things for me and i was just discovering punk rock uh when i was 15 and new wave so i was listening to uh ramones and sex pistols and i was thinking one song that came out i was thinking of uh, a public image the song public image by pil uh and i was thinking another girl another planet by the only ones and uh Ramon's, the album, Road to Ruin, came out in 78, so there could have been songs from that, but I just decided to go with something that I vividly remember discovering uh, when I was 15. And I discovered it because I was a kid. I used to watch TV like late night. I was a late night TV kid. I had a TV in my room. And I used to stay up and watch The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And I'd watch Don Kirshner's Rock Concert and Night Flight. There used to be a show called Night Fight, Flight and Creature Feature. And on Saturdays, I used to watch Saturday Night Live. And on uh, December 9th 1978, Eric Idle uh, was the host from money python and he introduced a musical guest and uh making her first appearance on american television and it was kate bush uh singing the man with the child in his eyes and it was just her kate bush in this leotard this gold let leotard on top of a grand piano being played by paul Schaefer, because paul Schaefer was the like uh band leader for the senate live back then And I just fell instantly in love with her and with the song and everything. And uh, um, later I discovered she wrote this song when she was 13 years old and she recorded it at 16. And uh, she was still young uh, when she did this. And it was her second chart single, I guess, in the UK, uh, where it reached number six in 1978. And then it was released in December 1978 in the U.S., so uh here we go uh, from her debut album the Kick Inside uh, here is the magnificent Kate Bush with the man with the child in his eyes but I
5: feel I Oh I'm so worried about my love They say no
1: This is Barry Stock from That Record Got Me High. And in September of 1979, I turned 15 years old. Every year I would go to um, Illinois in the summer and the winter to visit my father. Um, And where he lived, Quincy, Illinois, they had a public library that had some really great things in it, probably because there was a Franciscan college nearby called Quincy College, and there was a lot of intellectual activity centered there. They had a um, section where you could check out albums from the library, and um, that's where I got turned on to a lot of really cool things. um, In conjunction with the fact that I was buying and reading a Musician Magazine, which was on sale at one of the uh, music stores there in town. And so I started reading articles by Robert Fripp in Musician Magazine, uh, which at the time was edited by a cool guy named Vic Garberini. Um, and Robert, in those articles, mentioned some names that were to have a huge impact on my life. Um, specifically um, J.G. Bennett and Gurjeev and Krishnamurti. And so, um, besides the musical aspect, um, it also had a profound impact on my life uh, as a person going forward from that time. So the track I have chosen to present is one of the tracks off of his 1978 solo album, Exposure, and the track is um, based on his King Crimson um, composition, Red, and the name of the track is Breathless.